When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is a Thursday night. It is 8 p.m. Central. It is time for Thursday Night Tide right here on the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, back with you, joined this time by our team expert, Jimmy Stein. And Jimmy, you ready to just kind of uh, two-man this deal? Uh, it's just the two of us, I think a song once went. Uh, maybe a little different, maybe a little different context back in the day, but should still be a lot of fun. That uh, was from 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 the seventies or heyday. <laughs> a little dated, you know. We yeah. uh, we're going to keep you up to speed with Braves Phillies too, right? It looked like the uh, Phillies here in the yeah. bottom of the third had a little something cooking. Yeah. Uh, don't need I'm that. Worried. Braves already worried. down, already down two one in that NL. DS, but obviously, Jimmy, a lot of Alabama football talk. We'll get into this matchup for the Crimson Tide coming up Saturday morning at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Brunch with Bama on homecoming 2023. And it's an Arkansas team that we'll get into. Uh, losers of four straight. There, there is rat poison aplenty, I think, out there potentially. Although with this Alabama team, I've been asked about it this week. What about the potential for a trap game? Um, you know, I, I do still think that this team understands that it hasn't exactly put together a four-quarter performance. Last weekend was very encouraging uh, at Kyle Field in College Station. That being said, I think we both know, right, uh, this team's still in search of that 60-minute type of effort that you really feel like is a turning point. Look, 5-1, and 3-0 and in the SEC, I know that's all that matters, uh, but this team still has a lot to prove. I think they've only led at halftime in two of the first six games. <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they haven't played a full 60-minute game. That's certainly true. And who would have thought that Alabama would be a 19- or 20-point favorite and and people worried that uh, that Alabama won't take this game too seriously if you'd have brought that up, like, you know, the week after the Texas game, you know, and, like, the lead-up to South Florida or the week after South Florida uh, – my, how, how Alabama, the perception of Alabama has changed in that time, uh, how Alabama has, in fact, changed since that time. Uh, it's kind of crazy that uh, here we are just three weeks or so after that, we're talking about, gosh, I hope Alabama takes Arkansas seriously. Uh, I think they will. Uh, they haven't earned, to me, they haven't earned the right to coast or, or, or play an SEC game on autopilot. Uh, they still have to play well to beat anybody in this league, particularly on offense. But Travis, there are things that I love about this matchup for Alabama. And one is I love how Alabama's playing on defense and how it's matching up with Arkansas at a time where they seem to be shorter on dudes than normal. I mean, it, it wasn't too long ago we're playing Arkansas and they had a wide receiver like Traylon Burks. And I'm like, gosh, I don't know if we have a DB that can cover that guy. He's so good. Uh, they've had running backs, you know, in the past that have been extremely difficult to match up with. They've had offensive lines that have been very, very good 
in the past and even have had quarterbacks that are scary. K.J. Jefferson's a little scary himself. This will be his third career start against Alabama and his fourth appearance against Alabama. But I like how Alabama's defense matches up with this Arkansas offense. And, Travis, I can sort of see this uh, sack fest coming. I I, I think they're going to get to K.J. a bunch on Saturday. Yeah, I think one of the things you like if you're Alabama, too, is I believe it's 16 sacks that Arkansas has given up in the last three games, which tells you a couple things. By Sam Pittman and Arkansas standards, the Hogs aren't running the football like they want to because K.J. is being put in position too often to be sacked. And they also don't have dudes on the outside and lost their top receiving threat at tight end a couple weeks ago, the true freshman. So uh, it would seem, again, before you even get into energy and gas in the tank, juice, however you want to go about describing where you anticipate this Arkansas team being right now, and this being its fourth straight game in league play outside of the state of Arkansas. Man, that's that's rough. And to Arkansas's credit, right, they've been in pretty much all of these games, even the loss to BYU in Fayetteville back in week three, uh, had every opportunity to win that game. So I don't think it's a team you can totally sleep on, but in terms of just looking at matchups like you and I like to do, th- this fits this Alabama team pretty well. Yeah, I mean, they're giving up sacks. Alabama's a sack machine. It just starts there. Uh, Alabama's been pretty good against the run. Uh, Arkansas's not been good at running the ball anyway. It seems to me their offense, I mean, they're put it this way, we know this league pretty well. I mean, I'm the first to admit other people probably know the whole league better than I do, but I know it pretty well. And uh, I had to uh, look up who Arkansas's leading wide receiver is for this season in terms of catches and receptions. It's usually a dude I know. Uh, In this case, it was a guy named Andrew Armstrong. And uh, that's as much as I know about him. That's his name. Texas Texas A&M Commerce Transfer. transfer. Texas A&M Commerce Transfer. You know, all due respect, the guy Armstrong's put up some nice numbers this season. He has. He but has, he's not Traylon Burks, as you talked about. It's not earlier, Burks. Who, by the he's way, I think, I think he just scored again in that game two years ago <laughs> in Tuscaloosa. Traylon Burks. That's you right. talk about shootouts. What did Bryce throw for? Five fifty, I think, in that yeah. game. Uh, Alabama score scored in the six. Alabama scored in the sixties <laughs> in that game. In the sixties against Arkansas. And but you know, there is. We're still, not going to see that. Yeah, Rocket Sanders. That. Some of the you know, you would think Arkansas would would try to lean on the run game. Uh, Alabama's been pretty good in that regard defensively. Gave up some yards to Mississippi State a couple weeks ago, but that was a game in which it really had a commanding lead from the earlier stages. Um, But, yeah, when I look at Arkansas, and even defensively right now, and give Travis Williams, first-year defensive coordinator, some credit, statistically, Arkansas has improved. When you get into maybe more of the last three games, though, that run defense has given it up a pretty good bit in SEC play. And we talk about a run game coming off a struggle at Texas A&M. This is one in Alabama's that could really stand to see some good things happen on the ground this week. Yeah, and that's, it's what I'm predicting. Uh, I, sometimes, though, I can be guilty of, to, to be honest, uh, sometimes my predictions can be uh, also called wish casting. <laughs> like, I'm predicting it to happen because I sort of would really like it to happen. 
and, and that is the Alabama run game. Uh, it's not been great, considering I think they spent the whole offseason building around the fact that, hey, we're going to run the ball again. This is what we're going to be. This is what we're going to be. Knowing that what you had at quarterback, whether it was Milrow or one of the other guys, you had to run the ball to be successful. And they started working on it probably from the very first team meeting that they had back in January. You know, when, when the Kansas State game's over and the first time the new team meets in the auditorium meeting, they, they it was probably at that meeting where Nick Saban told the team, we're getting back to running the football. And so they've worked on it for eight or nine months. It hasn't been great. It's been okay. There's been times that it's looked pretty good. There was this past weekend when it was just pretty flat out awful to non-existent to we didn't even really try the second half. It just wasn't the route to success. Uh, They've got to run the ball in the second half of the season, Travis. If they're going to – uh, do things like get to Atlanta, uh, be a threat to win in Atlanta. If they're going to do those things, they've got to run the ball. Uh, nothing against Jalen Milrow at all. He's been spectacular based on uh, expectations, based on where he's come from. But this Alabama team's not going to be successful if the whole plan is, let's see how far Jalen Milrow's right arm can take us. No, this team's got to run the ball. And it needs to start soon because now we're in the second half. Now you're playing some pretty good teams every week. It'll be five, five of the next six SEC football games. Got to run the ball. I think they will make a concerted effort. I think it it works well this weekend. They're sort of due for a breakout game. I I see a big game from Jace McClellan coming up this weekend. That's prediction slash wish casting. Yeah, just haven't had many explosive runs from the running backs. I think between Jace and – and also, Roydell, you're talking about four runs of more than 20 yards or more, you know, on a combined, mm-hmm. I think it's a combined 130 plus carries. Wow. Now, it could be some good news this week with Arkansas's defense on the other side because the Arkansas Razorback D has given up an SEC worst five runs of 30 yards or more. So wow. maybe that gets unlocked a little bit on Saturday. You're right, though. I mean, you have to go back to the season opener against Middle Tennessee to find the last time this offense averaged more than five yards per carry in a game. You know, the last five games, they haven't done it. Now, sacks, as we know in college football, come off your rushing total. Right. I think Jalen's taken 21 sacks or been sacked 21 times in his five starts for a total of 143 yards. So you got to take that to an account. But again, explosive runs. And you kind of figured this was coming with Jameer Gibbs moving on to the NFL but I anticipated a little bit more than what we've seen through six games uh, in that regard. And both of your top two backs right now aren't averaging more than five a carry. Yeah, and Jace has, I think Jace McClellan's longest run from scrimmage is in the 20, somewhere around 22, 24 yards. Uh, Roy Dell doesn't have a, a home run either. There just hasn't been a home run uh, from the backs. The longest run from scrimmage, I do know this off the top of my head, the longest run from scrimmage is a Jalen Milrose touchdown against Mississippi State, where he ran 53 yards for the touchdown. Uh, but now you're playing Arkansas, and last year, Travis, in, in the last game with Jalen Milrow at quarterback, there was a home run from Milrow running the ball. There were two home runs from Gibbs running the football. All happened in the fourth quarter of that game, second half. Uh, you're going to have to see more of that 
going forward. And I think if Alabama would just, you know, hit a couple homers from the running back position or from Bill Rowe running the ball, it might really change the numbers. It might change the perception. It might change some of the confidence in running the ball. Uh, but, but to me, it's a must. To me, it's not a, boy, wouldn't it be great if. No, to me, it's like, if you want to get to Atlanta and you want to win in Atlanta, you better start running the ball better than what you're running it right now. And like you're saying, it's not as bad as some of the numbers seem to indicate, uh, but it needs to be better. And like you said, just hit some big runs. The numbers will look better. I think the confidence goes up. And boy, won't Jalen Milrow be more interesting as a quarterback when the other team really starts respecting Alabama's ability to run the ball? Uh, I, I think it's going to open up some things in the past game that maybe haven't been there just yet. So uh, that's what Alabama needs to do. I can kind of sense a game, Travis, where they want to almost force it to happen. And, and this is a good weekend for that based on what uh, Arkansas has given up so far. It's a good weekend, I think, to just say, we're going to run the ball Saturday, period. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about Jalen's numbers with an inconsistent run game to work with, I think that makes in some ways an even bigger surprise that he's averaging 10.4 yards per carry. Now, that may also tell us that teams are still saying, you know what, you're not going to beat us with your backs running the football, and we're going to keep an extra guy in the box for Jalen in case he decides to take off. And that creates as a result, some of those matchups on the outside like Alabama was able to take advantage of at A&M last weekend with Jermaine Burton. If you're going to play single high safety and man up these wide receivers, thank goodness that Jalen is proficient in throwing the football down the field. And to go along with that, you know, his wide receivers have pretty much caught everything they've had thrown to them in that area of the field, really in general. But uh, the vertical passing game, has been great and you know they did it last week off play action a couple of times in a game in which they ran for 23 yards you know usually at some point play action doesn't have an effect if you're not running the football but you know they were still able to do it which again I think tells you that opposing defenses are still looking at this offense and saying we'll let the guy throwing it beat us that way before we'll let him line up and run it at us. And that's been a factor in the run game. No question that's been one of the factors in terms of why Alabama doesn't have better numbers running the ball and more success. But, uh, you know, today on the on the, uh, on the the on the BOL premium board, the uh, the roundtable, uh, I think it was uh, Tim Watts, the godfather, started, you know, mid-season surprises. Yeah, and uh, I, think, I think it was – I think there's a lot of good answers about Alabama's vertical passing game has been maybe the most pleasant surprise to people. Uh, and the their efficiency. It's not just that they've hit a few, Travis. It's not just, wow, they've hit a few. They're efficient doing it. <laughs> They're so good at it. The efficiency numbers are fantastic. In other words, uh, the, the, uh, the statisticians, the analysts, all the numbers crunchers, they're in Nick Saban's ear, Tommy Reese's ear going, you need to throw deep more often. Throw deep more. <laughs> throw deep more. When you throw deep, good things are happening almost all the time and that's uh that's that's pretty rare especially for around here where we've had a string of great quarterbacks but the numbers say Milrose throwing it more efficiently deep than any of them more so than Tua more so than Bryce uh which is crazy and it's a pleasant surprise 
you wonder if it's sustainable. You wonder if that was a first half thing and maybe it's not going to be there as much in the second half of this season. You wonder. Uh, but, hey, they're still going give it, to give it shots, right? Yeah, you're going to see a good corner this weekend from uh, Arkansas and Dwight McLaughlin, who I think LSU would still like to have right now, previously yeah, yeah. of LSU, given the struggles that that LSU secondary has had in just about every facet of defensive football, tackling, covering, just the important things. Other than that, LSU's been pretty good <laughs> back there. Um, no, it, it is. It's, it is something that, again, week to week, the evaluation process is going to continue for every aspect of this offense, but you talked about the efficiency in the vertical passing game. And I know some people looked at the Mississippi state game and said, man, they only threw it 12 times, you know? Well, yeah, you know what? Seven of those attempts went for 17 yards or more. So it worked (laughs) out. Now, I don't know if that's realistic to think if you can maintain that over the course of 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 games, uh, but through the first six and when Nick made the decision to go all in with Jalen after the USF game, I was convinced at the time that was a big reason why, because yes, he had made some brutal mistakes against Texas. But when you looked at middle Tennessee and you looked at Texas and you looked at the yards per attempt that he had already accumulated in those games, uh, it was, it was pretty obvious that with him in there and then with the other two guys against USF, it was almost non-existent as far as those opportunities. And they had some chances in that game. They just didn't convert. It looks like Jason Ibster here in the show chat. He's ready for some Justice Haynes. He says, Jay Haynes, please. I think Jason's convinced that uh, maybe a little bit of a change up there in the running back rotation might help things. You know, I'm not sure if Bobby Humphrey and Sean Alexander last week were going to do much against that Texas A&M defense. And and I say that crediting A&M as we anticipated real, real legit guys up front. Uh, But I also don't think Alabama was all that imaginative in how it ran the football either. So it'll be interesting from that aspect too, right? To see if Tommy Reese has got some, some more stuff in that bag to help this team maybe get that run game going. Yeah. I don't think it'll be as simple as just changing the back, like, Oh, change the back and it changes everything. I don't think it'll be that simple, but I'm with Jason. I would like to see Justice Haynes just because I'm anxious to see Justice Haynes. And I I, I think, I think, you know, we we talked about, hey, you're probably one home run at running back away from really changing the confidence in in running the ball and and, uh, and, and the insistence on running the ball. Uh, You need a spark. You need a big play. It could easily come from Justice. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all, Travis, if in his first extended playing time, if he didn't put up nice numbers and just sort of became a weekly thing and, and a part of the weekly game plan, I, I think he's uh, mature. He's mature and polished for his age. Uh, you know, in terms of why we hadn't seen him yet, uh, some of it's just lack of opportunity. I've talked about this with uh, with with Clint Lamb, our, uh, our, our, our missing piece tonight. I've talked about this with Clint. You know, the last two weeks, Alabama ran 50 A&M. They only ran 56 against Mississippi State, you know, when you're only running 50-something plays per night, there isn't a skill player that's getting the ball enough. You know, you're not getting the ball enough to Jace. You're not getting enough to Roy Dell. You're not getting enough to the young backs because you're also not throwing the ball enough to to, to a seven-man wide receiver rotation. So Alabama only running 50-something plays, 
someone's going to be on the short end of the stick. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons we haven't seen justice, just not running enough plays in the game. Uh, secondly, they've struggled with pass protection. And I think when you're struggling protecting the passer with the running back, you're probably even more hesitant. Stick a true freshman out there who uh, probably didn't do that at Buford High School uh, uh, in terms of, hey, justice at Buford, you know, he probably wasn't asked in any game, oh, by the way, you got to hang out back there by the quarterback and make sure blitzers don't hit him. Uh, I doubt that came up, you know. Uh, but that said, we're at the halfway point, Travis. I think freshmen play one of two ways. They're thrown into the deep end week one, and we saw that with one of our with a safety and a, and a left tackle. And then others are more introduced in the shallow end of the pool. You take your first step and then your second step and then your third step before you realize that you're in the water. Uh, and I think we're at that point of the season, right, where it's okay, it's time to introduce a couple of freshmen into the shallow end. We saw it with Jalen Hale, maybe against Ole Miss. Now it might be Justice Haynes' turn uh, just to enter the shallow end, not 10 carries, not 15 carries, but significant carries in an important part of the game against an SEC opponent. I think we're going to see that this weekend, Jason. Uh, now, you know, again, that might be wish casting. Yeah, I, I think Justice, his biggest problem going into the season, he was hurt in the preseason. You know, right. He was dealing with that thigh issue uh, heading into the season. That put him behind a little bit. Uh, Jam Miller has felt this. And another thing, too, is this team hasn't exactly blown people out outside of Middle Tennessee. That's why you pretty much only saw Justice late in the Mississippi State game because that was a comfortable commanding situation. Otherwise, been you've been in these, as you said, these games after the half have been just dogfights for Alabama. Right. So maybe that plays into it this week. We'll see if Alabama is able to put itself in that position. When it comes to Justice Haynes, just even going back to the 8A game, I was very impressed, as you said, with his polish, not just in terms of his ability with the football. I thought even in pass protection, he showed a very advanced level of recognition in pass pro and then the willingness. You know, some guys come to college football, they might have one or the other, but they don't have both. And a lot of times it's the willingness that they don't always right. have because, as you know, in high school uh, against County High, you didn't pick up a 240-pound mic on blitzes so it's a it's a different mindset a different intensity altogether so uh, yeah and as we also know we've gone into about the seventh game of the season with Alabama in the past and thought man I don't know what they're going to do with all these running backs two games later we're talking about Des Moines Kennedy's moving over to running back right, right. so <laughs> be happy with the situation you've got right now and that you still have four or five guys that are a healthy and in the case of three or four of those guys, I think very capable as well. Stacy Blackwood says, I'm with Jimmy. This is the week there is a bit of a market correction. I like that for the yeah. Alabama rushing attack. Yeah, we gave some reasons why that would perhaps be the case this week. Um, and also, you know, this offensive line, uh, as Frank is going to point out here that he thought Jaden Roberts looked pretty stout pass blocking at right guard. He wasn't pushed back, Frank says, at Texas A&M. I agree. I thought Jaden jumped in there in a tough situation and performed at a high level. Uh, but that's some of it, too. You still got a little bit of a revolving door situation at left tackle. You've had some issues at right guard. Darian 
Unfortunately for him, it's kind of been a career narrative with him in terms of his health. Uh, you've had issues snapping the football at center. Uh, but I think that, yeah, probably more so than even Alabama, the opponent might have something to do with Alabama finding its footing, so to speak, this week. Yeah, that's why I like that term. I'm glad Stacy brought up a uh, market correction. It's one of my favorite football terms. And and sometimes, you know, I'm not you – know, sometimes you can see it coming. And what you can see coming is Alabama does have a breakout game coming on the ground. They haven't been as bad as some of those numbers indicate. And we've seen Jace McClellan have big games. We've seen him run 81 yards for a touchdown against Texas, and that's not the only 80-yard run of his career. Uh, we know that there's some explosiveness off the bench and Jam Miller and Justice Haynes as well. So these things are in place. All you need is the right opponent. Well, here comes Arkansas. They they have given up some plays on the ground. This isn't vintage Arkansas defense with with a handful of of high draft picks over there. I, I think this is, to be honest, just just a pretty average Arkansas defense uh, against the run and against the pass and. I think market correction is a good term. This market correction means Alabama is due due to go up big, while Arkansas is kind of due to sink a little bit with their numbers. Like you said, Travis, Arkansas has been in all these games. All their games have been competitive. You kind of feel like one's coming that's not. Uh, and, and maybe the Alabama ground game will be the reason behind that. Now, Arkansas' schedule does lighten up significantly after Alabama. So uh, if any Hogs fans are listening, uh, not not that you you didn't tune into this show for good news, but uh, I, I think after Arkansas loses to Alabama this weekend, I, I see a significant bounce back coming with the schedule lightening up, maybe getting some of their injured guys back like Luke Haas, maybe Rockets healthy or, or, or gets healthy, I don't know. Uh, but I, I see Arkansas having a, a, a good, nice bounce back after this really difficult stretch of their schedule. Yeah, Alabama – you know, has had two 100-yard rushers this season. Jace has done yep, it. Chase. Roydell has done it. Did it against USF. Um, so that hasn't been as much of an issue either. Uh, but the explosive runs, as we talked about earlier, also red zone. I mean, when you look at touchdown conversion rate for Alabama right now, and we all love Will Reichard. God bless him. Hope he wins the Lou Groza. Uh, kicks in the NFL for 27 years. Jan Stenerud style. Uh, again, dating, dating us significantly there, but you know what I'm getting at. It's not always how much you run for it, how much you run for it, it's when you run it where effectively where? and where on the field you run it effectively, whether that's red zone, whether that's four minute offense. And, uh, speaking of which the end game situation <laughs> at Texas A&M, you certainly want to see some improvement on that. Uh, you yeah. would love to kind of combine the two this week, take the football for, um, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten minutes in the fourth quarter and and impose your will and take the clock, as Nick Saban likes to say. Yeah, when you can run the ball, that's that's the true sign of a dominant team to me on the ground, Travis. When you can, when you're at the 14 yard line, and you're like, uh, it might take us two snaps, it might take us three snaps, but this is going to be run, run touchdown or run 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 touchdown uh, uh that that's when you're really imposing your will uh that's what you know you don't have to be 1995 in nebraska you know but but you do have to if you're going to be a team that's known for making the defense quit and, and all the colorful language that coach saban <laughs> uses about that if you're gonna be known for that then you're running the ball in the red zone 
you're taking the ball with eight minutes left in the game and saying, you know what? We're not giving the ball back. That's yep. a team that runs the ball and imposes their will. We haven't seen that, but I do think we've seen signs. I do think this team can be that. Uh, you know you've got solid backs. Maybe these younger backs become a bigger part of things. But the offensive line, you know, uh, it, it's it, the pieces are there. I like the fact that they're playing more guys, some of it out of necessity, Travis, but the depth on the offensive line at the start of the season was sort of scary. Looks a little better now. If you got all five of your regular guys healthy, now you're playing some Jaden Roberts. Terrence Ferguson has played. Elijah Pritchett has played. So now you've got eight guys that have played first-team snaps, and uh, and really all of them have brought something to the table. There's reason to believe in all of them, even if they haven't put it together just yet. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that it's – in all likelihood, on the way in terms of more consistency uh, with these backs and this run game in general. Um, Jason checking back in. Please don't let Will Reichard pull double duty anymore either. Can't risk an injury to him. Well, if he's the best you've got and James Burnup can't go this week, Will Reichard's going to be also handling the punting and given the situation he stepped into at Texas A&M, I thought he did an admirable job. Uh, anyone that knows punting and kicking knows that soccer-style place kicking and punting aren't really close to the same mechanics and, and, and the, the approach and techniques and things like that. Um, but from the injury perspective, uh, if Burnup can't go this week, we've heard Nick Saban refer to him and Malachi Moore as game-time decisions. My sort of history with that makes me think that it's very, very questionable that one or either will play against Arkansas. But let's talk about Malachi because, yeah. you know, that has very much a ripple effect on that secondary. And this is one of those offenses that you don't see much anymore of that you could, if you wanted to at least, you could play some base defense probably yeah. against this Arkansas offense, whether it's two tight ends whether it's two backs, as I've seen from Arkansas uh, in recent weeks. Um, let's talk about you know what that could mean for some guys that really haven't gotten as many opportunities as I'm sure they would like, but that could be on the way as soon as this week. Yeah, I mean, if they're in regular defense, we hardly – six games, I bet they've played less than 10 snaps in regular, and that number may be zero, but – it, it isn't more than 10, but you could see a lot of it this weekend. And that would be interesting. Malachi is normally the safety. He plays safety in regular with Caleb Downs. It's not Jalen Key. When, and that that's the proof that they haven't been in regular much because Jalen right. Key hasn't, hasn't missed many snaps. Uh, but when Alabama is in regular, meaning there's two safeties and there's not a star, there's not a money, there's just four DBs, two corners and two safeties, Malachi plays safety. They never take him off the field. So – he would be a safety back there with Caleb Downs. With uh, with Malachi out, it would just be Jalen Key uh, in regular with uh, with Caleb Downs at safety. They could get away with that uh, against Arkansas. But uh, I, I said this earlier today on another show. You know, Malachi is easily the most valuable Alabama defender. Now, it would be a fun show, Travis. We could do the whole hour on who's the best Alabama defender because the defense has been so good. I mean, is it Deontay? Is it Dallas? Is it Braswell? What about Tim Keenan and the difference he's made up for? What about Caleb Downs? Hey, he the Caleb Downs player? leads him in tackles and interceptions. 
there you go. He would so, be up there for me for sure. And they do we, different things with him too. I mean, he's a safety, but they drop him down to the money and some dimes. So they he do. has that sort of overlapping effect that, that Malachi has. But I think what you're getting at is it goes beyond that with Malachi. He's sort of that glue back there. He's that right. stabilizing presence yeah. that if someone isn't sure at this point, they're going to look at Malachi to get the the call or the check right. I think that's he's the most mean. he's the most valuable yeah. and that's defender value. in my, definitely that's mm-hmm. the value. I'm not saying he's the best defender, although he's in that long conversation, but most valuable. He plays safety and regular. He plays star and nickel. He plays money and dime. He's the traffic cop at all times. Uh, he's Mr. Experience back there. Losing Malachi, Malachi has to be replaced by three players when he's out. Because, he, again, he plays three different positions based on the personnel package. Uh, when Malachi was out last week, Trey Amos comes in. He's got to be a full-time cornerback because Malachi is out. Taron Arnold moves to star. Therefore, you need a corner. Christian Story becomes the sixth defensive back because Malachi is out. And Malachi normally plays the money spot. Christian Story comes in. He plays safety. And then Caleb Downs can move down and play money with uh, Christian and Jalen on the back end. So, boy, losing Malachi is big. But I think you can survive Arkansas without him. Uh, yeah, I don't, this Al- is, I don't think this, this is going to be a big dime. Him. This ain't going to be a big right. dime week, I don't think. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think you'll have to play exactly Because Arkansas doesn't have the people. Even if they go with personnel that dictates dime, just if you say, okay, they're in you know, three wides or four wides on third and eight, this is where we come with the dime. Last week, Alabama opened the game in nickel against two tights. So, you know, there's so many different ways now. It doesn't always just align based on personnel groupings and and things like that. So, uh, but agreed with uh, Malachi. And you just hope for his sake as much as anything else because he's having that kind of year. He's really positioning himself for something pretty good beyond the season um, that he's able to get back and, and continue to perform at that high level. So, Jimmy, uh, we continue on here with the comments. Stacy Blackwood checking back in. The entire team seems to be building more quality depth in his opinion. I would agree with that. Um, oh, yeah. Some of it by necessity. Um, some of it's just starting to show up statistically, too. Defensively, mm-hmm. when we talk about pass rush, we talk about takeaways, especially in those areas of this team you're seeing it. Yeah, they play quite a few people. That hasn't always been a Nick Saban calling card, by the way. Nick, Nick for a, pretty much a lifetime college coach, still has sort of, I think, an NFL mentality when it comes to, to, to substituting. Uh, there are some positions, for instance, he rarely ever substitutes, like his defensive backs. He sort of picks out his six guys, and, and that's that. And offensive line, until recently, he'd sort of picked out his five guys, and that's that. Uh, but th- th- they seem to play more guys at more spots. Uh, you know, they're, they're playing three outside linebackers, for instance, because Q Robinson plays quite a bit along with Dallas and Chris Braswell. And inside, you see Deontay, you see Trez, you see Jihad Campbell, and uh, even Kendra Blackshire has played. And I'm talking about with the first team, not, yep. not counting garbage time. I'm talking about with the first team while the game is in doubt. Uh, there's been a six- or seven-man rotation in the defensive line. Uh, defensive backs, maybe some out of necessity, but but they've played more than six because Trey Amos has played, Christian Story has played, 
So you're up now to about eight defensive backs that have played first team snaps. And then offensively, uh, three running backs have played first team snaps. Uh, when you count Jam Miller, uh, seven receivers, three, uh, four tight ends, count Danny Lewis, who's seen some time with the first team. And we went over the eight offensive linemen. I think you add up all of those numbers, Travis. It would not surprise me if somebody told me that's the most Saban's played in the 17 years at Alabama with the first team. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that. Uh, it would certainly be in, in the race for that distinction. Uh, and playing more players helps so many. It keeps you fresh, keeps you fresh late in the year. And even importantly to me, many people, including myself and yourself, uh, now you got more experience going into 2024 with, with kids coming back who've actually played with the first team in games. Helps with the team dynamic too, morale when you're playing oh, that many mm -hmm. guys. It helps you during the practice week because guys start looking around and saying, hey, he's playing four or five guys at my spot. I could be the sixth or seventh, so I need to bring it every day in practice. I would think that helps. Uh, it could help you too where the transfer portal is concerned as far as guys that you really want to keep around. You can say, look, we're trying our best to get you in there, and uh, we're going to continue to do that as best we can. Stacy also commenting here, Robert Bala has been a great addition to the staff. The inside linebackers are playing at a different level this season. You could also attribute that to improved play from the DL. I think that's a lot of it. I think they're getting that mesh uh, from the front to the linebacker level. Uh, Henry Toa caught a lot of crap, you know, in the last couple of years, but he didn't have Deron Payne or even Raekwon right. Davis in front of him. Yeah. And, you know, look, Henry wasn't really a guy that was going to stone opposing running backs or even quarterbacks that were like K.J. Jefferson size, so he needed that help. Uh, I think it was a concerted effort by Alabama to not only go get more experience, to get more physical at the inside linebacker position right. with Trez Marshall. So all those things, Jimmy, I guess, have come together there. And again – as Stacy says, give Robert Ball a lot of credit. We have to because there's been four inside linebackers that have played with the first team, and they've all played great. All of them. All of them. Trez has been great. Trez is a great blitzer. I mean, we, we've sort of been missing an inside linebacker that consistently gets to the quarterback in the blitz situations, but Trez seems to have a knack for it. Deontay's pretty good at it too, but Deontay's had a great year. Trez is a good player. Jod Campbell's going to be a superstar in the sport. It's only a matter of time for him, but Jod Campbell, a great player. Kendrick Blackshire playing the best football of his career at Alabama this season. Because all of them have been good, it's the coaching. I mean, it's it, it and Robert Bali, yeah, let's give him the credit because he he's the one that's got, you know, when you when you go to his office, it says inside linebacker coach on the on the on the on the the, the plaque outside the door, right? So you got to give him the credit. But Kevin Steele. Uh, doesn't have a position. He's a floating coordinator. His expertise, though, is coaching inside linebackers. You can't help but assume, they're assuming a lot, but pretty good guess here. Kevin Steele's worked with those inside linebackers a lot, too. That's his expertise. And again, he's floating around during practice. He doesn't have a specific position that he works with. Charlie Strong is around, and he's an inside linebacker guru of sorts himself. Uh, so there's a lot a lot of inside linebacker expertise that's in that Mal Moore building and on that practice field, and it is showing itself on the field. Uh, I, you know, I, I never, you know, much participate a whole lot in the Pete Golding bash sessions that you see online, 
But uh, I'll, I'll be the first just to say this, and, and not as a shot at Pete so much as it's a, a compliment to the new guys. I, I think the inside linebacker position is being coached extremely well at Alabama right now. That That's why every inside linebacker they put on the field is impactful. Uh, that hasn't always been the case in, in recent years. Let's talk about the midway point of the season in terms of coaching staff because there's been so much this week about MVPs on offense, defense, special teams. Uh, did that for the on three roundtable with Charlie Potter a couple days ago. But give me your offensive staff MVP through six games in terms of assistant coaches. Is it Holman Wiggins? Is it, I think Rob Gillespie's done a good job with the backs he has. Again, I think that the Haynes injury in the preseason probably slowed that down a little bit. What about Joe Cox with those tight ends? Um, don't you have to give some credit to Tommy Reese for what you're seeing from sure. Jalen Milrow right now? Uh, Eric Wolford, I don't know if he would get a lot of votes in the fan vote. Um but who would it be for you offensively through six games? You know, I'm going to go off grid a little bit and 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 go with Joe Cox, and I'll explain why. I want to say Tommy Reese because I want to credit Tommy Reese with Jalen Milrow's tremendous week-to-week -week improvement. I think sometimes with coordinators, we forget that they also coach a position, and Tommy Reese is responsible for the quarterback play at Alabama and – and Jalen Milrow's uh, ascendancy has been remarkable, and Reese deserves a lot of credit for that. I'm just going to go a little fan on you here and say something uh, that sounds a lot more like a fan than the Alabama team analyst, but I'm still docking Reese a little bit for the fiasco in Tampa. Uh, I'm still docking him for that. that uh, again, that's a kind of a fan thing to to say in an opinion, but it's it's I, I, that didn't leave a great impression with me, but <laughs> – his job of coaching Milrow week to week has been fantastic. So I want to say Tommy Reese, but I'm going to say Joe Cox. And this is why Alabama has become extremely tight end focused. And it might not show itself so much in the targets, although it does to an extent because Amari Nablack either first or second on the team right now in targets uh, for any individual but Alabama's become very quite tight end centric this season. C.J. Dupree plays a ton. Robbie Oost plays a ton. Amari Nablack obviously does. We've even seen a little Danny Lewis. They've all played well, but Alabama has switched to – look, Alabama's in 12 personnel more than any other offensive personnel package. They're in 12 personnel, meaning there's two tight ends on the field almost all the time. That's a change. You haven't seen a lot of that at Alabama, particularly with Bryce – a quarterback and two at quarterback, you wanted wide receivers all over the field and targets all over the place that were quick and fast. Uh, this two tight end thing is new. Uh, Joe Cox is playing two of his guys a ton. They're blocking pretty well. Uh, they're consistently used as targets in the pass game. Uh, I'm going to go Joe Cox because all of those tight ends are helpful. Oost is hugely improved. Nablack hugely improved. And C.J. Dupree, is a very good player, and you got to credit Joe Cox for going to get him out of the portal. Yeah, this has been retro in some ways. You know, earlier in Nick's tenure as head coach, maybe more with Jim McElwain, uh, even maybe some with Nussmeyer in 2012, they were a good bit of 12. I mean, they would play two tight ends a good bit, but I mean, when you go through a stretch like they did from basically 
2016 or 17 to 2022, you're going to be a lot of 11 personnel. I mean, when you've got those kind of wide receivers and those quarterbacks, how the heck would you not be 11? But this fits this team more, this offense more, uh, it feels like. I'm going to go Holman Wiggins, man. Uh, I know. I considered it. He catches – he catches some flack, especially the last year or so, from that from that run of wide receivers and those passing attacks to a year ago where it really didn't happen. And a lot of it's the same group. In fact, a guy that you were counting on or I thought would step forward this year really was Ja'Cory Brooks. What does he have, one catch? Yep. And these receivers yep. are playing at yep. a higher level. One thing I'd like more of, and we saw this against A&M too, Jimmy, perimeter blocking I think it's a little better than it was last year but last year was rough because you didn't have a true number one guy out there and then you didn't have an Ardarius Stewart type even um, when it came to blocking or some physicality at the position Um, I'm gonna go Holman Wiggins for my offensive guys how about I like it how about defensively we've uh, we've already made the case for Robert Bala I guess if you want to go Kevin Steele as a coordinator, you can do it too. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go with another guy who has taken his fair share of licks on the roundtable there with us at Bama Online. I'll go Freddie Roach here of late. Here of late, with where this defensive line is trending right now, give me the former Alabama inside linebacker. What no, about I love you? it. I love it. Uh, Freddie Roach's guys. I mean, Keen. Look at Keenan's development. Keenan's improvement. A Boygby. Great player. Tim Smith yeah. uh, turned a corner. All A lot of these guys have turned the corner. Developmental, better. Developmentally. Payne, yeah. who's going to be, I think, by the way, this year's, next year's Tim Smith is Damon Payne. Remember that I've said that, folks. Damon Payne will have the Tim Smith year we're seeing right now, where Tim Smith went from, are we sure he's good, to he's going to play in the NFL. <laughs> that That's what Tim Smith is doing. That's uh, what a Boygby's doing. I think next year that'll that'll be Damon Payne. But Freddie's uh, Freddie's developing his guys really well, so I love that answer. Uh, Bala would be a good answer. Yeah. Uh, I would just wonder again how much help he's getting there from the other veteran inside linebacker coaches that are on the staff and in the room. T. Rob is also, I think, doing a really good job. Uh, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell are two of the best pass rushers per snap in terms of getting QB pressures on a per snap basis. They're two of the top five in the country, so you have to give a lot of credit to Coleman Hutzler for that. But my answer is Kevin Steele, and I realize he's not responsible for a position but the whole defense as the defensive coordinator, but this is why. Uh, Last year, to generate pressure on the quarterback, it was thought by Alabama staff a year ago that they needed to flood the field with their best pass rushers. They played two outside linebackers in nickel. That is not something we've seen throughout the Saban era, but they played both Dallas Turner and Will Anderson and would even put a third outside linebacker on the field uh, at times uh, in, in the dime. They would do it you know, pretty frequently. Uh, that made Alabama small and susceptible to run plays. And frankly, when you look at the pass rush numbers and the sack numbers, it didn't really work, even though you had Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. This year, Alabama has made the decision to go bigger. They only play one outside linebacker in nickel now. They've replaced the second outside linebacker with a 300-pound defensive lineman, yet the pass rush is better. 
they got bigger, but be a better pass rush because it's coming from so many places. Now, when at, there's a sack, uh, the quarterback goes down, there's usually a pile of people. You have to see which Alabama defenders at the bottom of the pile. You don't even know because four or five guys have gotten there. It's not just the two-man show that it, it was uh, when, when it was Will and Dallas in 2021. So my point is I'm giving it to Kevin Steele for generating a fantastic pass rush despite the decision to go bigger in the front seven. And, and that – in tune has also helped help the run defense. Yeah, it's been a little retro with that line of scrimmage too. We talked about it with the offensive approach with the tight ends. And um, yeah, and I think part of that too is teams still look at this Alabama defense and think we're still going to try to run it on second and eight because the way they get after the people, get after quarterbacks with their sub package personnel, you know, we'd rather run it at Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell on second and eight than try to drop back and throw it. Uh, so I think some of that comes into play. Uh, they've gone through phases, it seems like, defensively. Years ago, they were really big, uh, even in their nickel. Then they went into kind of this stage with even Anthony Jennings and Trell Lewis. You would see them out there a little bit more together. But you're right, in terms of recently, uh, this has been a lot. I think they would have done it more in 2021 if Chris Allen hadn't gotten hurt yeah. in the season opener against Miami. I think Agreed. they really wanted to have him and Will out there a good bit. But it is. It's been an outstanding job. I'll give you another guy, too. What about T-Rob? I mean, yeah. you got a true freshman starter at safety. You bring in Jalen Key from the transfer portal. Terry and Arnold has taken a tremendous leap. And even if you just say, well, Nick coaches up those corners still a lot, just what – Alabama's got out of its safeties and star and money positions has been very impressive. I guess the point being, we talk about Alabama getting production from different players. This staff has really checked a lot of boxes this season. When you go over it like that, when went over just the offensive staff and the defensive staff, and you realize how hard it is to pick an MVP, uh, it, it, you really understand how well the team is, is playing through six games and how so many of these coaches have come through and uh, and, and the development of players, like I said, from Terry on Arnold from where he was a year ago, uh, Tim Smith from where he was a year ago, uh, Tim Keenan to where, from where he was a year ago. Some of these offensive linemen are awfully young too. Tyler Booker only started one game as a freshman. He feels like a total veteran, right, even though he's a true sophomore, again, who just had one start, you know, a year ago. Uh, so many coaches on this team have done a great job of developing the talent. Hey, it's not just signing the five-star guys. You got to coach them too. And you can see the year-to-year -year development. Uh, great job by the coaching staff. And that's why Alabama's in this position, Travis, with uh, six games to go. Uh, I'm not sure right after that Texas game or after that South Florida game, how many Alabama fans were making plans uh, to be in Atlanta the first Saturday in December uh, I'm, I'm not telling you guys to, to go ahead and book your reservations, but uh, but that, that doesn't look like a pipe dream that it might have looked like back in week two or week three. No doubt. And you talked about it earlier in terms of running the table to Atlanta, the run game, getting it to a more consistent level on a week-to-week -week basis is up there. Uh, again, though, if, if teams are going to – defenses are going to load up on you, and you're still able to hit these explosive plays down the field, there is a residual effect to the run game, even if it doesn't show up statistically in that particular area, but also penalties. Uh, and I guess more so when you're talking about games 
away from Bryant-Denny Stadium. So you would anticipate anyway those to be cleaned up a great deal when you consider nine were pre-snap penalties on the road at Texas A&M last week. I, I would think uh, a very knowledgeable Bryant-Denny crowd could could help with that this week. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, one improvement, though, I would like to see we haven't mentioned yet one improvement that, that that's going to help on the, the the road to Atlanta. Travis is how about some knots and some knots that aren't, uh, you know, eradicated by penalty. And by that, I mean, where's some pick a pick six, maybe. How about a, uh, a fumble caused uh, scoop and score um, even in special teams. But I would like to see more more turnovers. Uh, that directly lead to points, whether they're actual knots, uh, which, which by, by that I mean non-offensive touchdowns. Uh, I, I think that that's one step. The defense has been good. I think they're on their way to maybe even finishing this year considered the number one defense in college football. I think that's very possible from where they are now. But I would like to see some more uh, points, not even if scored by the defense, but how about turnovers in the red zone? Just when something you, that's when you gifts. Block, when Make, you block a punt and it goes out on the one – something more than a field goal, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Maybe to some extent. It. The offense needs some help at times, Well, and it can be supplied by the defense. It would really help close out games. You know, it would keep you from being just max stressed uh, in the final seven or eight minutes like you were at Texas A&M last week. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Alabama's having to earn a lot of these points. We're like, boy, scoring's way down. Well, it is for a lot of reasons for Alabama. Alabama have been scoring in the high 40s the last couple of years, and before that under Sark, now the scoring's kind of in the low 30s. But uh, some of that is because the offense is having to earn all of this because the defense isn't pick-sixing and and uh, and, and creating uh, a, a lot of turnovers. Now, they are creating turnovers more so than they did a year ago. That has improved, but it can be even better. And Alabama's going to have to to be better, Travis. Uh, and and I say that this team can accomplish some incredible goals, but those goals that's going to include getting to Atlanta and winning in Atlanta. And what I'll say is this team so far to me hasn't proven yet. Oh, we can win in Atlanta, uh, but they've shown me that the pieces are in place for that. And it, to me, it's about second half improvement week to week, getting better and better and better. So when you do get to that first Saturday in December, if you've earned your way there, you're not just showing up uh, for the consolation prize to wish Georgia luck on their way to the college football playoff. You're showing up because you know what? We, we got a team that can win today. And that's going to take week to week improvement over the second half of the season. Yeah. And you got to protect Will Reichert at all costs. I mean, that much is clear at this point, right? I know we had a, I think it was Stacy earlier, one of our, one of our viewers right. or listeners checked in about the concern for injury. I don't like him punting because I don't want it messing with his field goal technique. <laughs> I don't want him spending a minute on punting right. as pure yeah. as he's hitting it. I know he can do both, but I'd, I'd rather just leave him alone uh, and allow him to do his thing uh, as a kicker. And by the way, I'm, I think you are too. I'm still projecting three or four or five field goals on Saturday, not just because of will, but one thing I can tell you about Arkansas, Cam Little, can kick the football. I think yeah, you're probably going to see the, the the top two kickers in the SEC in this game Saturday morning too. Yeah, I've got a uh, uh, you know with my score that that's on the board of BOL thirty four seventeen. That obviously means most likely uh, three field goal, a uh, two two field goals by Alabama, one by Arkansas. 
these are both outstanding kickers, uh, but Reichard is extremely valuable to this Alabama team, and it might not ever be more apparent uh, how important he is to Alabama's success when you do get to maybe Georgia and Atlanta in a tight game in a dome where maybe your range increases just a little bit. Uh, boy, Reichard in an SEC championship game scenario, uh, incredibly valuable. Uh, you, you know, I, I'm confident that one day Connor Talty might be a good kicker to help him. I'm just not sure we want to see him in 2023. Yeah, we know he can tackle. Uh, we do know cool. that yeah, about we Connor do know. Talty. But, um, yeah. no, I, I've got, I think, five field goals in this game. I've got Reichard, I think, with three and Little with two. I've got it 30 to 13. So we're both looking at a 17-point game, which will have the gamblers sweating it out because what's that line? 1920-ish? Depending, 19 or 20. on, depending yeah. on what shop or fraternity house you get it at, right? It, it could be 17. Uh, in Tuscaloosa, it could be 20. You know, it can have right. those kind of swings. Um, but again, I think energy is everything in a game like this, uh, not just in terms of you know, what we talked about with Arkansas at the outset of the show and, and what it has been through in terms of just a heck of a stretch uh, in games right. played away from Reynolds Razorback Stadium, but also Alabama. It's a maturity game for Alabama. This is a how much can you really trust this team sort of performance. And I'm not saying it has to come out and be up 21 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Just come into the game, inferior opponent, that is on a four-game losing streak, go about your business and sort of methodically put this game away. Yeah, I'm not predicting a blowout, uh, obviously, at 34-17, and you're not really predicting a blowout yourself. Uh, none of us did uh, with our staff picks in, in terms of, a, of, a, of just a, a gigantic, uh, you know, 40-point win. But I, I will say this, you know, I, I don't – is our – it, it could get away from them in this sense. Is Arkansas coming to win? You know, I, I've seen Arkansas teams roll into Bryant-Denny that didn't win, that thought they would or thought they might, or that came here to win the game. I'm not convinced that this Arkansas team is showing up to win. You know, if I'm saying that already losing four games in a row, already spending so much time on the road, already a disappointing season, uh, I can see them not having the right mentality for this because the only way it's going to work, the only way that you're going to make this a tight, fun game that where Arkansas has got a chance to win at the end is if they're showing up to win. Uh, yeah, and, and that's that's the pit, that's the challenge for Sam Pittman. And speaking of Pittman, he's embattled. I mean, that's the best way to describe him at this point. That being said, I'm going to ask you, what's the realistic ceiling for Arkansas football, uh, if you decide after this season, this thing continues mm -hmm. to spiral and you're going to move on from a guy who just two years ago, uh, you were ready to build a statue for Sam Pittman right. because of the depths. I think people, I think even Arkansas people are too quick to forget how low that program had sunk. And then they right. go like two years without an SEC win. That's so exactly right. uh, at least Sam brought him back, has brought him back to some semblance of relevance and by Everybody the way, likes that guy. it's not going to get any easier starting next year because your old pals, <laughs> Arkansas, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma, Texas are crashing the party. So as far as a hire, potential hire, if you move on from Sam Pittman, 
where do you sort of put the ceiling for this team? Because I, I, I tell a lot of Arkansas fans that I interact with, I, I don't really know what, what you guys are expecting more than eight, nine wins in a season. Right. Uh, it, it's, it, it feels like they have a low ceiling based on their experience in the SEC because now we've seen 31 years. <laughs> Can you believe it? It's been that long. I mean, 31 years in the SEC. They have won the SEC West. It happened. They made it to the SEC championship game, uh, I think, twice. It might be more than that, but right, I think Reverend. twice. Yes. Uh, so they've, they've made it there. Obviously, there won't be an SEC West anymore. But what I would say is I think potentially – they could be nationally competitive for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, they have substantial resources. They have an money. Yeah. extremely passionate fan base. I think they have a commitment to winning big, but what they have is a distinct recruiting disadvantage in the sense they're in a very small population state. There's only one path to Arkansas building a championship roster, and that's being a hugely significant, successful presence in Texas. Uh, they're going to have to beat where and you go. And let me ask you this. Yeah. That's where I get a little bit torn on OU and Texas coming in. Does that help yeah. Arkansas recruit? Probably not. Because Probably not. my thing has been, if you're Arkansas, you've been able to sell the SEC when you've yeah. gone into Texas with OU right. and Texas right there. You're not yep. going to be able to even sell that now. With those that's right. Two teams I, I can't league. imagine that this helps at all. <laughs> but that's the path. I mean, and, and I think – it's possible because they're in the SEC, because there's resources, because there's some history. But you literally have to put yourself in a position to where you can go into Dallas and you can go into Houston and you're there with guys with Oklahoma, with Texas, with Texas A&M. And a kid's like, you know what, I'm picking Arkansas. And, and that's that's the position you need to put yourself in. Now, how possible is that? I don't know, but things are in place for them to be successful. They are in the best conference in the country. Uh, they and again the resources the Jerry Jones you would think Arkansas would be a significant player in this new NIL space you can see Arkansas being a dude when it comes to NIL type stuff so I think it's very possible that Arkansas could one day win very big I would also say one other thing hey it, it also helps to find to stumble upon a generational quarterback uh, every now and then that can happen that you don't have have to be Ohio State or Alabama uh, to to stumble into that. Uh, they they end up all over the place. I mean, uh, Duke's happy with the guy they got right now, just as one example. Mm -hmm. Miami's got a pretty good one right now. Uh, if you get a generational quarterback, you might be surprised how uh, how good you might be. Uh, <laughs> you know, to when you wake up and find a generational quarterback, uh, you you might be surprised to find how good you are. Especially if you compare him with a sort of generational quarterback developer, which Bobby Petrino had it going pretty good in Fayetteville until that fateful chopper ride a few years back. Hey, uh, speaking of riding off, we're going to do that here on Thursday Night Tide. Been a lot of fun, Jimmy. Uh, I think Absolutely. we covered a lot of ground. had a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate the, the viewers checking in here in the chat. And we certainly encourage everyone to stick with us right there. At BamaOnline.com, we're going to have a lot of discussion, as you might expect, right there at the roundtable, our premium message board. Jimmy, look forward to doing it again soon. The third Saturday in October oh. is next, and who cares what the record is? Who cares if you're on track to Atlanta? It's beating Tennessee, and we sort of owe them one, right? Yeah, and Jalen Hyatt, thankfully, up in Gotham <laughs> these days. I think a lot of Alabama fans would uh, – 
concur with that. Yeah, there'll be a big week, no doubt, coming up for this Alabama football team. For Jimmy Stein, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us here on Thursday Night Tide on the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com. And until next time, so long, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.